G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and with the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. In today's program, we report on the Victorian community dentists taking protected action for more state and federal funding for this essential service. We then go to a campaign to extend bereavement leave from two days to ten days. We then go to South Australia for our first report from our South Australian reporter who speaks to Jamie Newland, South Australian Secretary of the MUA, about some whispers that the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science has uh, been looking at some ports to uh, move nuclear waste through on its way to be buried in South Australia. But first, some workers' news. Vale, Laurie Carmichael. This is a message from the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union on the death of their former official, Laurie Carmichael. We are saddened by the passing of Australian Union hero and former AMWU and ACTU official Laurie Carmichael on Saturday the 18th of August 2018. Laurie was a formidable union leader who dedicated his entire life to improving the lives of workers and their families. He was a giant of our union and of the entire Australian trade union movement. Laurie's leadership of campaigns in the metal industry was integral to the victory of the 38-hour week. He also worked closely with ACTU Secretary Bill Kelty in the Accord era that delivered significant improvements for Australian workers in the form of compulsory superannuation and universal health care. One positive to the debacle in Canberra over the last week might be the slowing down of the legislation around the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was introduced into the lower house on August 22nd. Despite no oversight by the Parliament in the development of the TPP, the treaty ties Australia to clauses which will see employers able to bring in an unlimited number of temporary workers without having to check if there are local workers available. The TPP adds six countries to an already large list of others, including Korea and China, whom this government has given free labour market access. Critics of the TPP point out that the Investor State Dispute Settlement, the ISDS, provisions included in the agreement allow big business to sue Australian government for changing domestic policy regulations for loss of projected profits. An example of this type of litigation was the cigarette company's legal attack on Australia's labelling laws on cigarette packets. Because of these provisions, the TPP, it is maintained, will undermine the ability of government to regulate in the public's interest essential services like health, education, social services, water and energy. An action to terminate Woolworths' 2012 Enterprise Bargaining Agreement, the EBA, has been launched by Woolworths worker Lucas Karagiannis, supported by his union, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, RAFU. 
RAFU Secretary Josh Cullinan said the old agreement was approved because the Fair Work Commission relied on misleading material from Woolworths and the SDA. They provided indicative rosters in inverted commas, which were nothing of the sort. The material did not deal with workers working most of their hours on evenings and weekends, he said. We know the vast majority of workers work at those times. Many of them, like Lucas, have lost a fortune. In the case of Coles, the difference between what workers were paid and should have been paid was around $600 million. For Woolworths, $1 billion over six years is a fair estimate, he said. You're listening to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. Every week on the Community Radio Network. Last week, community dentists in Victoria demonstrated outside Moreland Community Health Centre and other centres across Victoria in an unprecedented action calling for more funding for a service that brings dental care to millions of Victorians. We spoke to Kevin Morris, President of the Australian Dental Association Victorian branch, about what's happening for these workers. If you're looking at the comparison of public um, funding of dentists throughout Australia, Victoria is roughly um, 40% um, less um, compared to um, New South Wales counterparts. And um, since um, dentists don't really have a union, we tend to use uh, Professional Australia, which is sort of like what represents most professions in negotiations for EBAs and funding and so on. Now, um, I have personal experience of uh, the community health dentists in the sense that uh, when I used to live in the bush, uh, the van used to come up to the local a local school and look at all the kids' teeth. Now, this was uh, especially important to people who live in such isolated areas, but it's not just isolated people, is it? No, it's, it's, it's not. Um, it's the, as you well know, Australia is very large, and with such a large, diverse population, naturally um, the public um, funding is often difficult and stretched. And Although um, the governments will sort of say, oh, it's well-funded, if you're looking at the number of eligible patients that we actually see under the public sector, we only see roughly about 400,000, and there's over 2 million in Victoria alone that are eligible. And um, each year, unfortunately, uh, there is no um, set uh, income that we get from the government. So every year we're sort of waiting, sort of on tender hooks, uh, for the next year's um, um, allocation, so to speak. And uh, ADA has been trying to sort of uh, negotiate with the government to sort of say, look, let's, let's reach a more reasonable target of 800000 by 2022. But naturally, that will involve more injection from the state and, Victoria, and the federal um, uh, governments. At present, um, there hasn't been much uh, um, positive feedback from there. Uh, so that's another reason why there has been a little bit of a strike action to sort of bring to the public awareness as well. Now, this is a, a health as well as social welfare uh, in, in question, isn't it? Uh, it targets people who are elderly, people who are underprivileged and people who are uh, under-resourced, but this, right. but the effects on the health system and for the individual of not 
having ongoing care for their teeth is uh, exponential, isn't it? It is. It's, 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 it's one of those things that unfortunately um, is always never looked upon as part of health. But if you think about it, anybody with any type of uh, dental pain is rather excruciating. And not only that, some, tre- um, some um, dental treatments require ongoing maintenance. For example, I'm a specialist uh, in periodontics, which is what they call uh, gum disease. Gum disease is a chronic condition. And it's not just a once-off treatment and we do it. It needs ongoing maintenance. And unfortunately, the model we have right now doesn't um, allow for that. It's more almost like acute treatment where they sort of cut you up and put you back on the waiting list and wait for uh, the next round, so to speak. So it's not the best way to um, treat chronic diseases. Now, it's interesting because uh, on the, the, the current average waiting time for general dentist care, dental care is 19.7 months, which yes, is correct. incredible, a length of time between visits. It, it, yeah, and that's the average. And, and there, there are, of course, variations. There are some which are slightly, slightly less and there are some which are a lot more um, uh, into the two-year mark, so to speak. And it does depend on where you are situated. So it's not a, um, um, a, a sort of a naturalized waiting list. It is sort of um, location-specific, and it does create a lot of difficulties, so to speak, because especially as you all know, in regional centers, there may be a dental clinic that you, you have access to, but because you're so much further apart, it might be harder for you to reach. And if you are elderly or you have disabilities, that makes it more difficult. Also, if you're looking at specialist dental treatment, like periodontics, like in my uh, discipline, or if you're looking at endodontics or special surgery for oral surgery, the only area that's available is actually in the city, as in in Carlton. So all these regional people will have to travel across. And of course, specialist waiting lists can vary even more. Was it the first trike action that uh, your members have taken? Uh, will there be more? Um, it, it, it's under um, all this is done under sort of a sort of protected um, um, protected action. So there there is a series of um, actions that they can do, but most of the actions will, will try to minimise. Um, the actual treatment, uh, as in minimise the inconvenience of treating patients because already they're, they're, they're sort of on a wait, long waiting list. They might do a stop work for half an hour maximum, but they will maybe refuse to uh, enter item codes that uh, enable the community health centre to sort of charge the government, so to speak. But uh, I don't think they will do long-term strike action because that's just not the benefit for the public. Uh, this is because you've uh, waited 12 months to get your EBA settled, isn't it? Yes, that's, 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 that's mainly because of the delay, but also because of the, the lack of funding for ongoing uh, reduction of the waiting list for the uh, eligible patients. You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. August the 8th was Dying to Know Day, a day set aside to bring the issues surrounding death to the surface, and 3CR Wednesday Breakfast team took this to heart, exploring aspects of death, including bereavement leave. Now officially, Australian workers get two days bereavement leave, 
say, when your father, mother, partner, child dies. Samantha and Lauren from a group called Memo Leaves, that's M-E-N-O-L-E-A-V-E-S, Memo Leaves, are calling on the Australian Federal Government to increase the number of days for bereavement leave to 10 days. And they came to the studio to talk about why they think that this leave should be available to people for up to 12 months after the loss of a loved one and should include casual contract and temporary employment conditions. If you agree, you can go to their website, www.memoleaves.com, and sign a petition. But first, let's hear from Samantha and Lauren speaking to Dean from the 3CR Wednesday Breakfast team. Um, I think, uh, like what you you were just saying about um, grief, how um, in many cultures it's celebrated um, or it's acknowledged. Mm. So, you know, within the Jewish community, there's 10 days or five days, seven days of of grieving where people come and talk about death, talk about the person, how they died. Uh, Same within the Hindu tradition. Um, And yet we're given two days paid bereavement leave Mm. in Mm. our culture. Yeah, that was the sort of driver behind the petition was to um, bring that uh, to people's attention, to make them really aware of um, what their sort of entitlements were at that time. That time's a very vulnerable time for people and they often can't sort of speak up to their um, bosses or to their workplace and say, um, you know, I feel this way or that way because they are struggling with um, just really like lots of things just well, in even coming and they're mm. in shock, sadness, mm. anger. Um, that's our sort of motivation behind the petition. I think also when you have been touched by death, yeah. um, it, it permeates through your whole life. It sits there at some in, on some level and shapes you. And, and we talk about our birth stories. Yep. Um, we plan our births. Um, but we don't talk about our death stories. It's touched my life and I know how it's influenced that. And and if we can talk talk about it in a way of um, it's not a taboo. And, and that's again, brings us back to the petition is that when we don't... You Acknowledge know, that time it, and yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. And, and you only have literally two days. Mm-hmm. And, and so what that does, um, and this is where talking about it is probably maybe not the number one driver, but the celebration of someone's life. So if you have two days, what I, what I, what I visualise is somebody passes away, the first thing that people do is call an ambulance. Mm. And then once the ambulance comes, you've, that person's gone. Yeah, that's Essentially, right. Essentially, in most cultures, it's time to sit down, make a cup of tea, spend that six hours, or even if you get the opportunity to dress that person in Absolutely. your own home... It's going to take more than two days for some people to be able to go through that. Yeah. You know? So I, I think you lose that person once you call the ambulance, but that's all we're taught, aren't we? Absolutely. To just get, Dean, get yeah. somebody there. And, that's and true. that's, mm. you know, I don't know if you know today is actually Dying to Know Day. I did. Yes, it is yeah. Dying to Know so Day today. Yeah. This is around all educating and talking about death and, and end of life. And, um, and we're, um, you know, there is a movement with death doulas and, um, uh, keeping the bodies in um, the home mm. a bit longer, and that helps with the grieving process. Oh, for sure. So for sure. with with the petition, like two days, people are like employers are actually on board yeah. a lot more than yeah. um, we we kind of feel like the national employment standards and the government have to catch up. Yeah. Um, because people will take um, 
uh, sick leave and yeah. carers leave if they've got it, if yeah. they haven't already used it. But then they're using that, aren't they, as, as something separate that's to right. what yeah. your petition is all about. That's which right. Is, and yeah. then people come back to work and they go, oh, how was your holiday? And it's like, oh, I actually buried my husband. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and so it creates a stigma. It creates this kind of um, a taboo around it. So that's kind of what we want to change. We And our petition is actually for 10 days bereavement leave, mm. which gives two weeks. And, of course, not everyone's going to take that. Some people want to get back to work and that's that can be a really great structure for them to you know to um, uh, get on with life um, but if they're given those 10 days and we call it bereavement leave yeah. then people are like ah we, we create more death literacy in, yeah. in the workplace yeah. and more 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 uh, I guess you know they talk about workplaces being a team and an environment where you should be happy to go to what what you're trying to then create is a maybe a more compassionate society that Absolutely. can be able to tackle those issues. That's really and Yeah, and important. some of the qualitative data, like we've um, got a survey on our, our website now for people who've experienced a bereavement while at work, and some of that feedback has been um, that, that they've um, been able to take time, but then when they come back to work, there's a lot more work that's built up there, so their workload is really heavy. People think once they've taken the leave, like so they've taken their two days bereavement leave and they've come back, then they're going to yeah, they're going yeah. to be able to move yeah. on. And since uh, other people say, well, I came back to work after I had my compassionate leave, etc. But um, three months later, um, I, I was a mess. And, that, and that's where that, that, that sort of additional 12 weeks extended bereavement leave. Yeah, that's is, is what we're asking for asking in the for. petition too. Yeah. And that's that's for extenuating circumstances. So yeah. that yeah. would be signed off by a GP or a psychologist. Our final report on Stick Together today is from South Australia, uh, from our South Australian reporter, Roman Orlansky, who is speaking to Jamie Newley, the South Australian Secretary of the MUA, about the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science identification of nuclear ports to be used for the mooted national nuclear waste dump. The Department of Industry uh, noted that Wyala, Port Lincoln and Port Piri were potential ports for the transfer of nuclear waste to a repository in South Australia. Uh, How does the MUA feel about that? We're very disturbed that uh, that department would not uh, engage uh, with the community and or the councils in those areas um, to to at least discuss that option Um, and importantly for our union, our members work in those ports and we're very concerned about the safety and environmental implications of such a such a move. Do you have any idea what the people around those ports would feel about nuclear waste going through them? Well given some positive uh, statements from the Mayor of um, Port Piri and Wyala uh, recently um, I think they're uh, quietly outraged uh, because they don't know too much detail other than that announcement from the department, so uh, I, I don't think it's met with any enthusiasm at all. Further to that, I communicated with the Mayor of Port Lincoln uh, only last week uh, when I uh, recently saw uh, an announcement on the front page of the Port Lincoln Times as well indicating uh, the Maritime Union's opposition to Port Lincoln uh, also being considered a port for. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to receive uh, nuclear waste. Uh, and I was met with some positive remarks from uh, 
from the council there that uh, it's unlikely they would uh, approve such a uh, a position. So, you know, I think uh, overwhelmingly those regions uh, do not support uh, nuclear waste being transported through their harbours and ports. Mm. Given that your union had a solid opposition to the proposal to import international waste for disposal in South Australia, and the fact that at the moment it's illegal to transport or store waste in South Australia, why would anyone assume that the union would be happy about transporting waste to any of those ports? I'm not sure anyone has assumed it. Uh, We're certainly out there saying we oppose it, and for all those reasons you just said, Roman, it is illegal to transport uh, that waste, and we don't want to see it occurring in South Australia. We don't think the government's current process has in any way uh, ameliorated you know, concerns of any of the communities, let alone, uh, you know, that would receive the, the waste, let alone where they propose to, uh, to send it, um, you know, Kimber or, or, or around Hawker in the Flinders Ranges. So it's, it's quite concerning, and, and the fact that legislation would have to be changed to receive, you know, nuclear waste in those, in those regions is putting the cart before the horse, I think, and... Uh, and the government, by pork barrelling those communities, are trying to to get consent through, you know, bribery essentially. Mm. They seem to be searching for a, a very small community of whom to ask for consent. Um, do you think they really should be asking a larger community, or indeed the state as a whole? Well, I think they should be asking the state as a whole, particularly when, you know, you have a department coming out saying there's three ports uh, in the Spencer Gulf region that could handle uh, this nuclear waste. Uh, to then be transported, you know, through uh, multiple communities in the uh, in the South Australian uh, landscape to uh, to its final destination, wherever, well, hopefully not wherever that that is, hopefully never in uh, in South Australia. So it, it is quite concerning, and it should be a broader based uh, consultation than just uh, the proposed sites uh, that that are occurring. And I'm sure there would then be uh, overwhelming opposition to. Um, the nuclear waste coming through ports and and through uh, South Australian towns and communities. Do you think there are any circumstances under which the union would accept nuclear waste going through those ports? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, you, you know, again, overwhelmingly, I think the local communities would have to be uh, on board with it. Uh, we we've said that we would be out um, communicating and discussing with our members the dangers of such a proposition. Um, you know, we've stood on the right side of history, I think, on, on many, many issues that um, in the first instance have not had um, overwhelming public uh, support, but over time have um, indicated that our, our decisions have been correct and uh, we've been, you know, the thought leaders in, in a lot of processes, you know, the banning of pig iron to Japan uh, where we said they'd come back as bombs and, um, and occurred, that happened in Australia. Uh, you know, we led campaigns against, um, you know, apartheid in South Africa when, you know, we had former prime ministers of this country label the likes of Nelson Mandela a terrorist uh, until he was released from jail and then he was a hero. Uh, and we, we were on the right side of um, history on those occasions. You know, the independence of uh, Indonesia is another example where we, uh, you know, we supported that against, um, you know, uh, Australia's uh, opposition to it generally. Um, there, you know, there's a history in uh, Australia is littered with um, 
you know, bad decisions, uh, but often, you know, unions have been at the forefront of of some of the greater decisions uh, uh, that this country has made. Mm. Has there been any discussion with the federal government and the union over transport of this radioactive waste? No, there hasn't. Do you find that unusual, given they've been trying to push through a location for this waste for at least two years recently? Oh, I think it's astounding that, uh, you know, the arrogance of the federal government to um, push for South Australia as, as the only uh, site uh, is quite, um, you know, detrimental to their relationship with the South Australian community. You know, with the international uh, waste dump, at least the uh, as flawed as it may have been, the, the state government at least had a very in-depth um, consultation period. They had the citizens' jury. South Australia overwhelmingly knocked it back on that basis. Um, and, and I can't see why the federal government wouldn't, wouldn't you know, closely examine those results and, and distinguish pretty clearly that South Australians don't want any nuclear waste in uh, in this state. So I just think it's astounding they'd ignore that, and I think it's uh, the height of arrogance. So what do you think should be done with the waste? Well, that's a very good question. We do, you know, we do produce uh, nuclear medicine and, and things like that, and, uh, you know, Lucas Heights do have the capacity at least for another 20 years to uh, to hold it and store it. I think the um, Lucas Heights have re- uh, recently said there are areas within New South Wales closer to the site that, that may be able to deal with that uh, that waste. But I think that demonstrates with such a uh, level of um, or, or the amount of years um, that they can store this waste, that uh, there should be further consultation and no rush to a decision to, you know, that, that will divide communities, uh, divide friendships, divide towns um, in, uh, in what would, you know, fracture um, general consent over, over something that could have a lot more time to make a decision. So wh- where it ends up, I'm not sure. I don't want to be the... Uh, you know, the person to sort of name or or uh, indicate where that might be, but it certainly needs broad community consent, uh, and particularly in my view, um, tradi- the, you know, the, the views of the tr- traditional owners, the financial implications, the safety and, uh, and environmental uh, implications uh, need to be really thought through and considered, and uh, and it shouldn't be done on the basis of pork barrelling. Uh, communities to uh, to garner consent or manufacture consent. That's it for today's Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together.